This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And thank you to our special sponsors, iris.co.uk. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you? Yeah, well, I think people don't know Iris is they were ahead of the game for MTD phase one because they were the first software there to be listed as approved by the HMRC TD filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where do they go to to see this? It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That stands for making tax digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole making tax digital initiative. So iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin? That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, Iris know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Welcome to our special leaders interview today. And I'm thrilled to have with me today from Praxity, it's Sam Louie. Hello to you. Hi, how are you, Rob? We're fantastic. It's so good to have you with us, Sam. And uh, for the benefit of people that haven't come across you and even Praxity, just give us a, a little bit about your background and what you do there. So I joined Praxity in June last year um, as the incoming chief executive, taking over from Graham Gordon, who's done an amazing job over the last 12 years. He's a legend. We've had him on the show. Legend, before. Absolutely. And um, he he left us at the end of December and I'm now sort of flying solo. Um, so gee whiz, that's a bit scary. But I joined Praxity from the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants, which is the merged body between the AICPA and SEMA, which was formed in all oh, 2017 now. And before I joined Praxity, I headed up international advocacy for the association. And prior to that, I worked in Africa for SEMA, heading up the Africa region for 17 years, I think. That accent tells us that you're not from around here, as we say. So you've done a lot, a lot of traveling in your time. Where is home now? So home at the moment is London, but I'm a, I'm a Joburg, Josie girl, born and bred. So and South the, Africa. For people that don't know Praxity and the Networks Associations Alliances in general, just explain briefly what you do for your member firms. An alliance is really um, where a number of individual firms, independent firms come together in order to work together for the benefit of their clients, but they each retain their own independence, their own name, um, their own systems and approaches to how they do business. But when they have clients who are expanding internationally and they need to provide services for them in another country, they can reach out to another member firm and together service that client appropriately. We want to make sure that we've got the right firms in the right places with the right skill sets to service clients. And that's what's important. How hard is it for an accounting firm to do that without something like Praxity? Well, I think it would be really difficult because you don't know what you're getting into, do you? Exactly, yeah. Um, I know working across the world that standards are different. Um, what might be a mid-sized firm in the or a small firm in the UK could be a massive firm in, an, in a small emerging market. And you also make, want to make sure that you've got the right skill sets in that market. So when you see that a, a firm is a member of Praxity, for example, it has that kite mark. We go through quite a stringent quality control process before we accept firms. And we repeat that stringent quality control purpose uh, process every three years. So we make sure that, you know, that firms are really working to a high standard. As well as the international collaboration, introductions, referrals to global 
business opportunities? What are the other benefits of being part of an alliance like Praxity? The main thing is you get to know what's happening around the rest of the world. You know that when you do refer clients, um, you're going to keep those clients. And of course, you have a choice. So if I look at, you know, I've got a client and they're going into country X and they need a particular skill set in that country, maybe it's an outsourced payroll because they're not setting up a finance team yet, or, you know, they're only dipping their feet in the water, or maybe they've got a full-flung operation. Those all require a different skill set. And because we have a multi-representational approach, you can actually look at the different firms in that country, and we can have up to six or seven different firms in a country, and choose the one that's the best fit for your client. So I think that that's a real advantage. You're not forced to use one firm and no firm has exclusivity in a country. Of course. And when you talk about second setting a high bar and standards for uh, becoming part of Praxity, what in your view separates the good accounting firms from the great ones, Sam? Oh, it's people. Rob, it's always people. <laughs> um, I think the really great ones are the ones who attract the best people that they can they invest in those people and they develop those people because all the systems and processes that a firm has is developed by its own people, isn't it? You know, you can buy them in, but you're going to have people who think and care passionately about what they're doing. And that means you deliver great service. I think that's what makes the difference. And in these challenging times with the pandemic, what kind of shape do you feel the accounting profession is in currently? Because you talk to a lot of people all the time about this. I think what we've seen over the last two years is the emergence of the accounting profession as a really trusted advisor. So as people have had to negotiate all the different packages that governments have put in place through COVID, they've relied on their accountants to really help them access those packages, to produce the accounts that they need to access those packages, um, to help them think about where their business is going, how to manage their cash flow, how to survive in some instances or thrive in others. So I think that role of trusted advisor has been critical over the last two years. And I don't think we're going to see that ending. If I can just give you an indication, we um, have just compiled our results for the year ending 2021. And as an alliance, our firm's revenue has grown by nearly a billion dollars in 12 months. Goodness, in COVID times. In COVID times. So that is really people approaching the firms, looking for that advice because they know they need it. But there is a difference, Sam, isn't there, between an accountant and a trusted advisor? Because we know that compliance is the backbone, the bread and butter of the accounting offering. But more and more, they're needing to think like business owners, be entrepreneurial, develop this commercial acumen and business awareness so that they can not just tell clients what's going on, but advise on what they should be doing next. No, I think that's exactly right. But if you think about it, each set of partners really are the entrepreneurs, the managers, the leadership of their own firm. And then they're taking that advice and sharing it with others. Um, some of our firms would have great advisory practices specializing in all sorts of different things. We have one firm, for example, in Indonesia that specializes in auditing of supply chains to make sure that your supply chains are free from, for example, uh, modern day slavery, exploitation of underage workers. So, you know, when we think about auditing and, and business advice, it's not just what ordinarily springs to mind, but other things too. We have one firm that values brands. Wow. And it's clear that obviously these are not Praxity firms, but there are some accounting firms that have not stepped up, that have got things not quite right during these challenging times. So what do you think some firms have got wrong? So I think if you hadn't invested in moving towards a more online, 
way of working, I think you would have found the, the really challenging because the minute you move away from paper, it um, people are working from home. You can't be posting paper up and down. And in some countries, you know, you might as well make a paper airplane and throw it out the windows, <laughs> rely on the postal system. So, you know, if you haven't moved to technology and your clients have, you haven't worked with your clients to make sure that they've moved onto technology, you're really going to have found it incredibly challenging. Well, when you say challenges, what are the big challenges that accounting firms face right now, particularly if they want to grow? So I think the first one, and I've touched on that already, is finding finding talent. There really is a war for talent out there. Why is that, do you think? The profession is changing. So we have this idea that stereotypically it's sort of dull gray men and you know gray suits and very little personality and we know that that's not true we know that actually it's quite exciting and then the opportunities that firms and the profession give you is massive because you can really do all sorts of things in it so I think there are other professions that are somehow you know more desirable seen as more exciting more challenging um, and so we're really fighting against those other professions to attack attach talent in and secondly generally speaking you need quite a good understanding and um, maths and problem solving ability so if you haven't got that either in the education system or as a skill it becomes more challenging yeah and it's certainly those firms that are building up that employer brand of choice they're becoming a good place for accountants to either start their career or develop their career what are they doing right to attract that kind of talent it's about investing in their people. Honestly, if you bring people in, you train them properly, you build that brand loyalty, you engage them with what the firm does. They care about you as much as you care about them. You know, you can't expect people to, to engage with your firm if you don't engage with your people. It's just not going to happen. No, we hear, though, a lot of accounting firm websites make the same promises, the same claims, both to clients and potential staff. They offer the same values and the same culture and the same vision. But it's one thing saying it and another thing living it out, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. But I do think you get a sense quite quickly of whether firms, any firm, whether it's a, you know, a professional services firm or, or a corporate lives their values. You get, you get that sense of congruity or incongruity quite quickly. And if you look at, if you're going into a firm, for example, as a young trainee, the sorts of questions you need to ask are about how many people do they keep? What is, look at their turnover rate? as the pyramid narrows towards the top of the firm you know what does that picture look like do all the partners look exactly the same do you know or is there kind of diversity at the top and how does that firm link in with your career aspirations and your life aspirations not you know so you might want to spend time with your children for example will that firm offer you that opportunity for flexible working or perhaps flexible hours that you're not working 40, 60, 80 hour weeks. Maybe you can have a smaller portfolio of smaller clients as opposed to working on massive audit with big deadlines. So it's really about how the firm responds to its people. And that's the point. Nobody wants to be chained to a desk for 10 to 15 years to make partner and do 70 hour weeks. The people coming into the profession now, they want a life. They want some choice, some autonomy, some flexibility, some career options, don't they? And firms that don't offer that will not be the employer brand of choice. That's exactly right. But they still want that progression too, though. Don't be mistaken. Sure. <laughs> but there are no perfect professions. We can't say the accountants have, have got it all right. We do know they've probably pivoted and adapted to change better than we thought they might have done during these challenging times. Is there 
any aspect of the sector that perhaps hasn't evolved as quickly as it should have done in your eyes? I don't think we've done a great job educating non-accountants and non-business people around what auditing is. When there was a parliamentary inquiry into Carillion, uh, the base committee report talked about there being a performance gap between what auditors should do and what they actually do. I know the audit profession prefers to talk to that as a perception gap, <laughs> um, because actually what the audit profession does is quite clear and clearly laid down in the standards. But it might not be what people think that they do. And I think there's a lot of confusion between what external audit does and what the internal auditors do, for example. And their job really is to go and find the fraud. Well, there's certainly a lot of scrutiny on audit right now and a a lot of government intervention and regulation in the accounting profession generally. That's a good thing in your eyes? Um, I think there's a balance to be found between regulation and self-regulation. I don't think you can ever legislate for honesty. But I think you can certainly ask people to subscribe to codes of conduct. I think there can be sanctions for not adhering to those codes of conduct. There are rules, there are principles, there are standards that need to, that are clear. And it's clear when people haven't stuck to them. And then, you know, sanction must take place. You mentioned earlier the astonishing statistic that Pratt City firms have put one billion of revenue into their bank balances over the last year or so. That's astonishing growth in these challenging times. What are those firms doing well that is helping them grow so much, Sam? So the key thing, I think, when we look at our firms and what they're doing is servicing the client. And I know that sounds so cliched, but really it is as fundamental and as basic as that. If you're working with your clients and you understand your clients and you're supporting your clients in their growth ambitions, then you will grow along with your client. I mean, it it sounds, you know, fundamental and it is fundamental. It's back to first principles. What does that actually look like, though? We, We know about client service, service delivery, client experience, and everybody claims to be client centric. It's on their websites. It's in their values. Not all of them live it out. So as that plays out, as it manifests itself, what does that look like being close to the client, looking after them? Well, you can see it in the awards and uh, there's too many to list, but we do a roundup every Friday on our LinkedIn page of all the awards that our firms have won or the great things that they're doing. And you can get an indication from that, how they're being recognized in their communities for what they're doing, whether it's sponsoring the local under 10s football league or whether it's doing amazing things for their staff so that they're listed in Forbes as one of you know the world's most liked and best employers you know we're seeing all those aspects playing out and do you encourage your member firms to go for awards like that to get that good PR that external recognition that's their choice some some firms like to go out and uh, show what they're doing and share what they're doing other firms you know prefer to just pay it low and The beauty about Praxity is that's their choice. You bring up an interesting point, though. It reminds me of these millennials and and Gen Zs coming in now. They don't just want a good career path and a good story to buy into. They want to know how firms are contributing to society, making a difference in the world. So we bring in things like environmental and social governance, corporate social responsibility. How are you looking after the local community? How important is all of that? It's critical. I mean, I think ESG is probably going to be the single biggest issue that changes how our firms run themselves and how they service their clients. I mean, I think it has, it's twofold. So each firm will have to look at itself and its supply chains and what it's doing 
um, to make sure that it complies. But equally, they're going to be doing advisory work to their, their clients around ESG, how to implement things like integrated reporting, for example. And they're also going to be auditing reports, integrated reports. And so they're going to be auditing things that are non-financial. Those issues around sustainability are non-financial aspects are going to be a big change for many, many of our firms. And it's whole new skill sets. So it may be in the future, for example, that the people who come into the profession haven't trained as accountants, but might have trained as, for example, a geologist. And they're going out um, and auditing reserves of you know, mining companies, for example. We hear a lot about diversity and inclusion as well. You're a, a, a passionate professional woman working in what is ostensibly a man's world still, but things are changing. How important is it that we keep on this road? Oh, I think it's very important. I joined SEMA in South Africa in 1998. So that was just four years into Nelson Mandela's presidency, four years after the first fully democratic elections. Um, and it was a country working very hard and still working very hard to transform itself. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of having achieved in South Africa was changing the demographic profile of the profession in terms of SEMA student body from to 50-50 women and male split and moving from a 35% black student base to a 75% black student base. Unless you live in an emerging economy, you can understand the impact of um, accessing a profession on your personal socioeconomic circumstances, your future career prospects, but also how you're able to contribute to supporting other people in your family to also lift them up. When you look at the impact of that change, I think you see how it impacts economically and really transforms lives. You're a very passionate person, very charismatic. I can understand how you would sell causes like that. They're very noble. What do you love most about what you do? I think it is seeing people and firms change, develop, grow, be the best they can be, reach their full potential. I think that's really what excites me. I also love working internationally. I'm completely curious about different cultures to get to the same objective, but they play it out in different ways. Um, so I love traveling. I love interacting with people in, in different settings and, and understanding what they're about and where they're from. Let me give you a, an example. You might, if you're driving down a sort of country road in, in South Africa, see a man and a woman walking down the road and the man won't be carrying anything and the woman will be carrying all of the parcels. You might look at that and think, gosh, that's not terribly chivalrous. Isn't that a bit rude of the that's man? That's exactly what I'm thinking right now. Yes. <laughs> well, why? Then you have to ask yourself in, in that culture, if you're walking down the road in the bush in South Africa, it's quite a dangerous place to be. Ah. And so the woman is carrying the parcels so that the man has his hands free to vend off any attacks from animals. And unless you understand that and you get into it, you know, you don't understand where people are coming from and why they come from wherever they come from. And for me, I, I, that's completely fascinating and interesting. That makes complete sense. Although my wife is great with a knife. <laughs> so you might be carrying the parcels. <laughs> But I know what you mean. I used to live in Hong Kong for a few years. And, and if you're a, a tourist just visiting somewhere for a short time, you don't get that sense of culture. But when you live somewhere for an extended period of time in a different culture, you do get a sense of what it's truly like for those living there, don't you? Exactly. And it's the same outcome, just expressed and different behaviours to achieve it. And it's so interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of people spoken into your life over the years. Have you read a lot of books, developed some kind of personal philosophy for success? I think one of the most influential people 
from a book point of view would be Joseph Stiglitz. So I first came across him when I did an MBA 20 years ago. Uh, and he wrote a book called, when he was chief economist of the World Bank, called Globalization and Its Discontents. It made a real impression on me about how emerging markets could harness and access the wealth to grow. He was in London to promote his latest book called People, Power and Profits. Um, and that kind of looks at the relationship between profitability and, and purpose and, and how you can unleash market forces, but also rein in the worst of the sort of capitalist effects of completely uncontrolled markets, which I guess goes back to what you and I were talking about with, you know, regulation in the audit markets. How do you unleash the best, but make sure that you you regulate and contain the worst? Have you then developed a personal philosophy for success? You've risen to a, a prominent leadership role in a global organization. Not everyone gets to do that. So you must have some kind of mantra or philosophy that's helped you get there. Two things, I think, Rob. Um, being open to opportunities in life. I'm always interested when people have a five-year plan and they write it down. And, and people do say you should do that from a career point of view. But I think if you do that, you maybe narrow your focus too much. Um, I don't think I would be where I am right now if I wasn't open to opportunities and things that come in from left field where you say, wait, what? <laughs> and then, oh, okay, that's interesting. Tell me some more. So that's the first thing is being open to opportunities. And the, the second thing I think is being curious, asking why, understanding how. I'm, I'm always most interested in people who have a sort of spark in their eye. And when I employ people, that's the first thing I look for. Never mind the skills, because you can always train, retrain people. But if there's that spark, that curiosity, that's what gets, gets them excited and passionate about what they're doing. Would you describe yourself as a, a comforter, encourager and a handholder or a disruptor and a motivator, if you like? Oh, I think I'm, I'm, I like to be quite visionary. So I, I like my team to understand where we're going and what the vision is. I've spent the last three, four months working with our board on building on the outstanding work that Graham has done at Praxity over the last couple of years, but evolving the new three-year strategy. So we have a really clear direction because I think people are smart. And if they, if they buy into where you're going, they can figure out much better than I can how to do their jobs to get there. So I'm, I'm all about having my, my teams back and empowering them to get where they want to go. And critically, it's important that you've got a great team behind you because one person, one leader like you, you can't do it all on your own. Not a chance. It's all about the team, 100%. <laughs> I just I sort of see my job as maybe the conductor of the orchestra, but I've got to have excellent violinists and drummers <laughs> and, you know, big diversity across the board. Otherwise, we're not going to make beautiful music together. I'm glad you got the drummers in there. I used to be a drummer, so that's excellent. <laughs> People say we're not musical, but I think we are. <laughs> You're passing on advice. You're mentoring young people coming into the profession and into Praxity. Is there any great bit of career advice that you, you've been given over the years that stood you in good stead? One of my former bosses at um, AISTPA taught me about credit. So not in the financial sense, but about letting other people take the credit. Let the credit flow for what's been achieved. And I think that's been such good advice and something I try do we all like to get the credit for doing a good job? Um, we all like to be thanked for doing a good job and praised. And I think that I learned that from him. And that's 
been really an important factor. Is there uh, anything you changed your mind on in the last few years? Um, well, five years ago, I moved from South Africa to the UK, changing my mind about where I wanted to live, where I wanted to see the rest of my career and, and taking advantage of the opportunities that the UK had to offer. The accounting profession generally, let's say I put you in charge of accounting worldwide. You are now the czar of accounting. <laughs> Is there anything you'd change if you had a magic wand? What would you make better? What would you bring about? I would love to see it more respected. And I would love to see it doing things to make it more respected. How would you get started down that road of making the profession more respected? From a UK point of view, um, and I know this is a global podcast, but from a UK point of view, we're going to see regulatory change. And I think if the firms and the professional bodies can come together and really think about how they want to reposition the profession in the wake of those changes, I think that would be amazing for the UK. In other jurisdictions, I can think of, we just have to make it more attractive. Um, it is a very financially rewarding profession, there's no doubt. Um, you're unlikely to get the same sort of shares if you start your own tech company or something. So maybe it's not uh, in that space, but actually it's a great career to have. It really is a great career. You can go places, see people move around the world within firms. You can change what you do every couple of years. You can be continually excited and enthused by what's happening. It's a fabulous career. You're such a great ambassador for it. <laughs> What excites you most about what's coming up over the next 12 months or so, both personally and, and for the world that you live in? Well, I'm excited to be implementing our new strategy at Praxity. I think that that's going to be great. We're thinking about how we maintain our, our number one position, because that's always a scary place to be. It's much easier to be a challenger than to, to be at the top. And so how do we maintain that, maintain our quality? So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about team coming along that journey with me. I'm really lucky to have a fantastic chairman of my board, Phil Verity, who's the UK managing partner of uh, Mazars. Um, and so with his and my board's support, I think it's going to be a fantastic year ahead. What advice would you give to the accounting practitioners listening who want to do a better job, make more of a difference, have more of an influence in their role and generally make the world a better place through their work? I think you have to know what you're talking about. And that means work outside of work. That means, you know, doing the CPEs or CPDs that you need to do, listening to podcasts like this. So if you're listening, well done. Being on LinkedIn and reading the research reports, the thought leadership, because then you talk from a position of authority. When you're in a room, you will have a view on emerging and new issues or indeed become the expert on new and emerging issues. And that's what's going to ignite your career and set it on fire. Goodness me, that's a great call to arms. Uh, but you paint a very exciting future for the accounting profession. Sam Lewis, that's been so wonderful to have you on today. Thanks for your passion and your insights. Oh, no, thank you. Shout out to one of our newest commercial partners, it's Practice Ignition. How would you explain what those guys do? Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. How global are these guys? There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals. They engage clients with a clear scope of work and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Xero, Zapier, 
and it does so to automate time-consuming tasks, allowing the practitioner to run their practice on autopilot and automate time-consuming tasks such as client onboarding or invoicing. 91% of their customers spend less time creating proposals and chasing signatures and payments. 87% were able to cancel other software subscriptions and 80% have fewer or no unpaid invoices at any given time. That's amazing. So if you're in the US, we'd say, say hello to zero account receivable. If you're in the UK, we'd say impressions that last payments made fast. And if you're in Australia, we'd say first impressions that win new business every time. For the entire world, the bottom line is that you can get to use PI right now. We've got a special offer from our PI partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% of all plans for your first six months. Info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for accounting influencers.